Hey, this is Steve Whiteman from Kicks, and you are jamming with Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another edition of Focus on Metal, and also welcoming you to 2017. So usually, you know, the week after New Year's, we take like the first two weeks of January off every year, but uh, this year we had a nice interview with Steve Whiteman from Kick, so we decided that, one, we really needed to finish Little Mountain Sound in 2016. So we did that, and that, of course, pushed up the Tim McFate episode to be the last episode of 2016. In the meantime, we get a real sweet opportunity to talk to Steve Whiteman once once again, as they just released their brand new documentary. It's a CD-DVD combo called Can't Stop the Show, The Return of Kicks. So we figured, what the hell, we'll delay the whole break for a week and roll this so that everybody can spend a bit of their Christmas cash on this great new release from Kicks. And another very cool thing about this week's interview is that this one's an all Richie one that uh, I had a chance to talk to Steve way back a while ago. And I thought that this time I would let Richie uh, roll out the questions. Did a great job. A little different slant than uh, my normal thing. So a uh, nice change overall. And you get to hear Richie yakking instead of me. So that's what we got in store for you this week. Great interview with Steve Whiteman as well as some great tunage. And we're going to start that tunage right now with Track of the Week. <laughs> All right, track of the week this week comes from our friends at Cruz Del Sur Music. And I'm talking about the second release from Hammer King. It's called King is Rising. Great band out of Germany. Definitely a great power metal type sound. They got the Iron Maiden in there. They got the Priest in there. And definitely, as I said, the whole German power metal thing as well. And of course, the vocalist in this band is the former Ross the Boss's vocalist, Titan Fox. So a guy who really knows uh, how to sing. So again, just like the first album, another great album of metal anthems. I mean, these things all sound like these things. They could go out and play live, and I definitely know they're going to be doing a lot of uh, live festivals around Europe, so definitely be on the lookout for these guys. And I will say that uh, this stuff is actually a lot more faster-paced on this new album than uh, Kingdom of the Hammer, which was their debut, but all I, like I said, great, great stuff on here. 12 tracks, pure metal anthems as well as a 13th bonus track if you get the right version. So I thought uh, for track of the week this week, from Hammer King, the release King is Rising, going to play you For God and the King. Yeah. 
track of the week from Hammer King off of their brand new one, King is Rising. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, our guest this week is Steve Whiteman, vocalist of Baltimore's own Kicks. They just put out a brand new CD-DVD combo called Can't Stop the Show, The Return of Kicks a documentary. So very cool thing. You get a documentary of them recording their 2014 return disc, Rock Your Face Off. And if that wasn't enough, also a CD, Can't Stop the Show Live, which has got uh, 12 classic as well as a brand new, at least brand new since 2014, Kicks Tracks. So Richie gets on the line with Steve, talks all about how uh, just a kind of a documentary quickie thing kind of turned into this as well as all the things that went on behind the scenes with making up the accompanying live CD. So all in all, a very cool conversation with Steve Whiteman. So how about we play a little bit of Kicks and then get right into that conversation. Steve, how's that? That any better? Much better. Yes, much, much better. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, are you in uh, Baltimore? I'm in I'm in Hagerstown, Maryland. Beautiful downtown Hagerstown, Maryland. All right. I'm I'm just we're just um, outside of Boston. I'm just wondering, are you a Ravens fan? Um, you know what? I'm a Redskins fan. I was a I grew up a Baltimore Colts fan, and uh, when the Colts snuck out of town, I just naturally adopted the Redskins. So, but I, I do like the Ravens. I watched them last night. I thought yeah. it was a hell of a game last night. Yeah, I was at it. I got home at 3 o'clock this morning. <laughs> oh, you were there. You were at the game. I was, yeah. Wow, yeah. I, mean, I I thought that they were going to implode. I thought your boys were going to implode in the third quarter, but they, they came back and did what they do. Yeah, they they always grind out the way to win. Yeah. So um, we, I went to the head and I actually bought the documentary. And um, But one of the things I will say is I'm a pretty recent convert to the band. I only really got into the band a few years ago. And I grew up in Ireland and I used to buy Kerrang! magazine. And I, I wanted to ask you, did, did you tour Europe a lot in the, in the 80s? No, not really. I think we only did one stint in the UK. We, we did uh, 
London and we did some outskirts shows. We had, we did basically three shows in Europe and there was never any uh, real push from, from Atlantic Records to get us over there. And I, I guess um, without the push, nobody ever heard of us over there. Yeah, did you ever hear any rumors of any tours that you were supposed to to uh, to go on, or did you guys actually keep bugging the label or the management to try and get you on dates over there? No, we we were so busy doing the states. I mean, we were we toured for like eighteen months on that Blow My Fuse album, and we just we we kept hopping on different tours. We did the Rat tour, we did the Tesla Great White tour, then we did the White Snake tour. So we were just relentlessly touring the u.s so it didn't really dawn on us that uh, that we were missing other parts of the world and we also did a japan tour so and and we did that that, that little three-day uk thing and honestly the crowds were dreadful it's like they didn't know who the hell we were and didn't care so we had little desire to go back and deal with that again yeah because um one of the people in your video jamie st james um i spoke to him about a year ago and he hadn't played in the UK since the, the mid-80s, and he didn't realize how many fans were actually still over there. Like, Do you still get a lot of correspondence from, from European fans or from fans around the world wanting you to go? I don't really know because I don't keep up with that stuff. I, I, you would have to ask. I, we don't even, I mean, we have a, a Facebook page, but we don't get many, we don't get many, we don't get much interest from, from that area. Like everybody talks about the big festivals and in Germany and, and, and England and everything, but we've never been invited to them and never really given it much thought. However, I just spoke to my agent today and, and there's a good possibility of us playing in, uh, in England this coming October. Nice. Nice. Well, I think it'd be nice. Yeah. I think it'd be nice for you guys to, uh, you know, to experience the, the crowd in Europe or, you know, South America or some other places. Cause I agree. I agree. I would love to do it, but I, but I, I just want to be wanted. I don't want to go over and, and go, who the hell are these guys? You know, I want to make sure that they know what they're getting and, and, and they want us to be there. Yeah. I think as well that a lot of bands, they don't want to go over for one or two shows. They want to, you know, they don't want to fly in date and then come back. They want to actually spend a couple of weeks over there if they can, because of, you know, because it costs well, a lot of money. Much, that, that's, yeah, it does. That's what we're talking about doing, just doing one fly-in, fly-out date. But you know, if that gets the ball rolling, which is what we did eight years ago when we did Rocklahoma, um, it was the first out-of-area date that we had played since since we decided to call it quits in 95, and it just opened up a whole new world to us. So, uh, we start getting offers, and, and it's been going stronger and stronger every year. Yeah, that's great. Um, of course, I have you on, Steve, to talk about uh, the documentary, Can't Stop the Show.
Uh-huh. One of the things when, when I was watching it, it was like a lot of a lot of it is to do with the recording of the album. Um, and the album is two years old. Was was there a delay in releasing this? Like, did you want to release it closer to the album release? It really was never anything that we consciously planned. It, it we had some guys approach our bass player Mark Shanker who said do you mind if we come in? And these you guys were like amateur filmmakers and said, do you mind if we come in and, and document some of the recording process? Cause you guys haven't made a record in 20 years. I think some of your fans might be interested in seeing the process and how it's changed. And, and we agreed and thought, you know, really didn't think much of it, thought it would just be some stuff we'd throw up on YouTube and please the fans. But these guys were relentless and they just kept coming around and coming around and they were come out to shows and they were, starting to interview fans and then they would start reaching out to, to people who, who they knew were influenced by us. And, uh, it just grew into this, this movie that it was really shocking to us once we started looking at footage. And then that's when we, we reached out to the record label and said, Hey, I think we've got something here. You might, you might want to look at this and, and you might be interested in releasing this as a, as a, a another kicks release. And, you know, if everybody put their, heads together and then came up with the idea of, of putting out the documentary and then having, having us play live tracks off the new album and put that out with it. So it, it became the package, but it really was never a conscious effort to do that. Yeah. Can I ask you just a little bit just about the live tracks? It seems to me that they are live. It doesn't seem like they've been touched up at all. Well, unfortunately, what you got on there, I mean, the live tracks on the CD are definitely live, and, and, and we didn't touch them at all. We, didn't, we did no overdubs. I haven't even listened to it, to tell you the truth. But on, on, the, on the DVD, they had to use the album cuts to sync with, with our, our, our performances because the live cuts weren't finished being mixed yet. So, you know, I, 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 we were all wondering about that, but we were so late in getting somebody to mix the live tracks we weren't able to use them on the on the DVD in the live show. Yeah, what I love about the live tracks on the CD is there's a couple of live tracks that you've put on from from the last album, and then you've got like some of your classic hits on it. And I'm I'm a guy that loves to go and hear new music. Um, I don't care. Nice. You know, I I'm one of the guys that like I went to see Megadeth a while ago, and they played seven songs off their last album, and I was jumping up and down. I was raving about it, and. Then you get bands. Wow, well, you're, you're 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 a rare bird because most people just want to hear the same old <laughs> same old crap over and over again. So yeah. good for you. I've heard bands go out and like they they promote an album and they might play one song off it and I'm like, what's really the point? Because you know the fans want to hear. I think the fans do want to hear the, the new music live, and um, for a band to play the same songs over and over and over again, I don't know how you stay sane actually doing that. It's quite hard, trust me. And, and you know, we, we do make it a point to play at least at least three to four new songs every show just to say, hey, look, you know, we there is new music and hopefully you'll give it a chance. And, you know, unfortunately, people just don't hear it on the radio anymore. And if they don't hear it on the radio and they're not familiar, um, they just kind of turn a deaf ear to it. So it's just what the, the music business has turned into. It's, it's, not, it's not the fans' fault. It's just, it's just what the business has turned into. Yeah, now, I'm watching the documentary as well. Like, you look at the people that are on it. You've got Nuno Betancourt, Jamie St. James, you've got Lizzie Hale, Jeff Labar, and uh, Don Jameson and Eddie Trunk. <clears throat> um, you didn't have anything to do with getting any of those guys on. was it? You said the filmmakers approached all these people and asked them? 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 it was funny because they jumped at it. I I did reach out to Lizzie because Lizzie, I I was her vocal teacher when she was like sixteen, seventeen years old, and our record label asked me to reach out to her because she would be you know a, a, of a new generation that may that maybe people want to hear what she has to say about a band of our generation and our genre and. And I did reach out to her and, and she did an amazing job. And she, she, she jumped at the opportunity to say, yep, I was totally influenced by these guys and Steve was my teacher and blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was very cool. And Nuno was, was an old, an old fan from the, our early days when we used to play the Boston area all the time. And apparently he was out in the crowd and he was totally influenced by what we did. And it was, it was very flattering to hear, you know, people of this caliber, uh, praise what we did and, and how they were influenced by it. So it was it was it was quite cool. Yeah. Now, who had all the archival footage from the earlier albums when you were in the studio? I'm sure that stuff was just uh, VHS tapes that we made. Like I made some VHS stuff when my family came out to visit me, and I guess we all just took little little films, and it, it for whatever reason it stuck around, and and we were lucky enough to be able to to uh, incorporate it into this this documentary. Yeah, do you ever think you can and, and, and No, sorry. A, a lot of people a lot of people were I guess disappointed that it wasn't more of a documentary of the history of the band that was just about the making of the of the new record, but you know, we did throw a little bit of the past in there, but it really was never about it was never supposed to be about the history of the band. It was the making of this new this new record for the first time in 20 years and how we did it and why we did it and I mean, I, I, I think I'm on record saying I never thought it would happen. And the fact that it did happen and it turned out so well, I had egg all over my face and I was happy to have it. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of fans are out there now that they want to hear the stories. Um, you know, a lot they had all these behind the music documentaries and all that, that people are interested to hear the stories and see the footage of stuff that was pre-internet that... You know that's not actually out there. So, do you think in the end right. you, you might actually be able to get enough of that together and actually do a really good documentary on the history of the band as a separate entity to this? Never really thought about it. Um, you know, I, I never really felt like we were that big of a breakthrough band, and that um, we've gotten new fans from going out and doing all these festivals since since uh, two thousand eight and doing all these monsters of rock cruises, we've actually gotten more fans over the past, say, five, six years than, than we probably did in the whole 20 years of, of, our, of our original career. So um, I think that the, most of the people don't care about the past, or, or if they do, um, they don't ask me about it, or they don't come to the band and go, uh, we want to know more about you. And, and as far as they're concerned, we have one album that did well, and then they come out to see the band, and then they see the show, and... And they're hooked. They're going, okay, we get it now. Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, the Anvil movie, they've even said themselves that they got a career jolt, but it didn't last. And I know there's a movie on YouTube. Someone went out and did a movie on uh, Bang Tango, and nobody, mm -hmm. nobody bit on it and actually released it. He had to release it himself on YouTube for nothing. So, you know, it, it's a big chance you're probably going to take if you do something like that these days. It is. It is. I mean, even, you know, with the release of the last record, I mean, sales, it came out and it charted on Billboard at number 40 and everybody's going like, woohoo. But I knew that that was just a short lived thing. And even with this DVD documentary, it, it debuted on Billboard at number one and it stayed there for a couple of weeks. But 
the reality of it is nobody buys anything anymore. No, nobody, everybody just uh, downloads it and, and steals it and streams it. So there's uh, that whole, that whole hype of, of being, being putting it in a, in a category or a number is over. And, um, I just don't put much stock into that stuff anymore. Yeah, now Steve, you said in the documentary that when you were making the album that you were a little bit wary of actually recording new music. Now two years down the line, has your attitude changed at all? Only for the fans that, that bought and really loved it and for the people who, who, who come out to the shows and appreciate it. I mean, I realize that there'll, there'll never be another 100,000 selling or a million selling record anymore. I realize those days are gone. And I was happy that we did it for those diehard fans that truly love the band and come out and support us. And, and uh, you, they're the ones that appreciate it the most. And if, if we touch those guys and those guys keep spreading the word and keep, you know, getting other people on board with the band, well, then it's worth it. Yeah. But I, 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 I realize now that it's never going to balloon into anything big ever again. So now that we have that, understanding um it is what it is and you do it for the diehard fans yeah do you prefer to create music or, or do you prefer the, the live show um i i love the live show yeah that that to me is that's what i'm all about that's what i prepare my life to do that's that's what i'm best at so uh that's where i have the most fun yeah yeah i just want to ask you about um you, you got taylor rhodes to produce this album and he did a al couple of albums you did before um what was plan B if he said no? There was no plan B. I guess uh, we were really counting on him to jump on board, and uh, luckily he did. I guess if he wouldn't have done it, we would have just done it on our own, and it wouldn't have been nearly as good. And um, it probably would have gotten not so good reviews because Taylor was really essential in, in taking some of the tracks and flipping them into what he felt was a kick sound. And, uh, he, he really lifted the album to another level and uh, he brought in a couple of songs of his own that we worked on that, that we used. And he was, a, he was great at working with Mark Shanker and, and developing Mark's songs. So he was, he was quite, he was quite essential in making this record as good as it was, is. Yeah. We've had a lot of producers on our show in the past. And one of the things that they say they, they learn from when they go from being an engineer to a producer is, um, that decision making, they kind of have to be multi person. Kind of have to have multi personalities. Like they can put their arm around a person one minute, and next minute they have to start screaming at him. So, like, what what makes what makes Taylor great for ye guys? Like, is is he like that with ye guys? Is he quiet? Is he is he is he like is he is he goal oriented? Is he like does he put you under pressure in the studio at all? Um, Taylor, you know, what makes him great is that he's a songwriter first. So he has no problem tearing a song apart and telling you what's wrong with it. And then as, you know, as, as a smart band who, who realizes, okay, everything you write is not great. Okay. Let's, let's listen to what he has to say and let's fix it. And everything that every criticism or everything that he felt wasn't strong, we all agreed. Yeah, that could be better. And I think that's his strength that he's such a good, strong uh, songwriter. And if, if he needed to tell people, or if, if he, he wasn't afraid to disappoint somebody saying that's not good, that's not good enough. If, if he feels that way, he'll, he has no problem saying that. So he, he could be stern when he needed to be, but, but he's a pretty graceful guy and, and he's a pretty smart guy. And, uh, uh, and we respect, you know, what he has to say and, 
and, and what his goal is. So it was, it, there was never, ever a flare up. Believe me, I, I've been in some flare ups in my time in the studio and never even came close to that with Taylor on this record. Yeah. Did you find that he changed much over the years since you'd last worked with him or was he more or less the same guy? I thought he was the same guy. Uh, he looked the same. He, 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 he still had the same approach and, and, you know, we were just so fortunate and, and happy that he was there that, uh, it was just a, a real, a, a real mutual marriage and, and it, it worked so well that, that we're hoping that he'll do it again. Yeah. I just want to spend a minute with you talking about your, your voice because you've managed to keep your voice all these years and you say in the booklet that you got lessons at a very early age. Now, did you go to many vocal coaches or was, was there one you went to or went, well, actually your, your approach now, was it like, do you pick and choose from each one or was, was there one guy who you just follow his routine? You know, honestly, I, I learned at a very early age that you have to warm your voice up in order to make it work properly. Before I ever had any training, I always knew that. So I, I would warm my voice up before every show and I would cool my voice down. That was just, to me, that was common sense. My voice worked better after I sang for a while. So I finally took training when we were making our third album and, um, and the training just solidified everything that I'd sort of already gathered on my own, but, but gave me a routine and gave me a, um, um, a, a path to follow in order to, to maintain what I had and, and to protect what I had. So, um, training has been as, as, as the reason I'm still able to do what I, what I do and the way I can do it. And it's, it's fun for me to show other people how to protect what they have and how to strengthen what they have and, and how to hold on to what they have. So um, people who don't get training, is, uh, they're the ones that lose their voices and can't, can't continue on into their 40s and 50s. Yeah, now there's, there's a lot of things that people know that aren't good for, for, for singers, but is there one thing that you think is not commonly known that's a definite no-no for you when it comes to keeping your voice? Um, knowing what your limitation, knowing what, what you can handle, what your workload is. A lot of people will push themselves or be pushed by other people to say, you know, we're going to do these four nights in a row with one night off and then three more nights in a row. And if you push your voice to the point where it can't make a comeback, then you're never going to get it back. So you have to understand what your limitations are and you have to live by that. And you have to make people who are around you and book you and work with you understand that. And I've been fortunate enough to have that in my career. So I tell people, I'm good. In the old days, I would go three nights, one off, three nights, two off. Then I would need a couple of days to recover. So people who, who allow themselves to be pushed and think that they can get away with just continuing to push their voice like that, eventually it'll go on them and it won't come back. Yeah. When, when did you realize a trend where people were actually coming up to you and asking you about how you, how you were keeping your voice? Was it... Was it like, was it something over time you noticed? Was it just like in a short period of time you had a lot of people come up to you and ask you about it? Or, or what, what way did that work? Um, I'm, a lot of people were always impressed that, that the band itself sounded like our records and I could always perform the way I did on the record and they asked me how I did it. And I didn't even think about it. I just said, well, oh, I, I do things right. I, I, don't, I don't eat. A, a pizza before a show. I don't drink any alcohol before a show. I don't, I, I take care of myself. I warm my voice up. I, and, and they go, well, can you show me how to do that? And that's when I thought, Hmm, this is, this is probably what I should be doing. When, when kicks went on, 
I'll call it a hiatus, but we broke up in 1995 and I thought I need to do something. So this is what I did. I went out and did vocal lessons and, and doing that made me really hone in my own craft even more. So that's made me a, a better singer and a better teacher over. I've been doing this for almost 19 years now. Yeah. And what about meet and greets and interviews on the, on days of shows? Is that something you try and avoid like the plague? I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. That, that, it, it's such a distraction. I mean, it's not that we don't want to meet the fans. It's just, it's one of the things where Ronnie and Brian, the guitar player, would rather be concentrating on the show and going over some stuff. And I would rather be thinking about my stage rants and all that and, and having to go out and, and do those meet and greets are just, they're, they're more than anything, a distraction for us. And, but then once we get out there and we see how excited the fans are to meet us, you know, that all goes away. And, and we, you know, we, we try to do whatever we can to make everybody happy. But I, if we'd never had another meet and greet, I would be perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Now, Mark said something in the DVD that I, I wanted to ask you about. He talked about going to on festivals and you see other bands that can't, do what they used to and they don't get on and all that but you guys you can definitely see it in 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 the documentary there's a there is a chemistry with 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 the five you that you know it's you can see it and feel it um what what how, how have you been able to do it when a lot of other bands haven't you know i think it was instilled in us and and i have to give a lot of credit to our former bass player and the guy who founded the band and was pretty much the pioneer of the band donnie purnell instilled such a work ethic in all of us and and it and it 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 runs to this day as to how we approach shows and how we care about our presentation, the way we look, the way we take care of ourselves, the way we perform. So it goes back to the early days of our preparation for every night. Every every show meant something. There was we never we never mailed it in and and we've maintained that attitude and, and I think um that's what makes this band special and uh, I, I have so much respect for all the guys in the band and the way that they approach what we do. And I think the fans see that and, and it comes off as being just a good show and, and guys that care about what they do and care about what, what they're giving the fans. Yeah. Well, I got to say, Steve, um, the documentary is fantastic. And unfortunately you played up my way a couple of months ago and I wasn't able to go and I was I actually had a ticket and something came up and I couldn't go, but hopefully next time. But, um, so what's, what's coming up in the future for kicks? Do you have shows booked already for next year? Yeah, we're doing a couple of local shows, some big shows for us, um, in the local area, in the Baltimore area. And we're doing the next monsters of rock cruise, which is always fun. And you get to meet people from all over the world and, and, you know, rub elbows with them and take pictures and sign stuff and hang out with them. Um, things are always a little slower this time of year. And then the festivals pick up around, around April and May. And th then we take off for the summer. So, um, we're waiting for, waiting for the, for the dates to be booked and, and shows to come in, but it's been pretty consistent over the past several years. So we have no reason to believe it won't be, it, it won't be any different this year. Yeah. And what do you think? Is anyone uh, picking up a guitar and writing any new music or are you just going to leave that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, we're, we're actually thinking maybe this summer to get together and let's see what we got at the collective unit, throw the songs out there that we've been writing. Anything jumps to the top. We feel like we've got enough material to, to pursue a new record. Then I think we're going to go with that. And I'm pretty sure Taylor would want to be a part of it again, because it was really easy for all of us. And, and he seemed to enjoy it. And, and, and it's because he hasn't really been doing it that much. 
So getting around a bunch of old, old pros like us made it really easy for him. And so we're really counting on him to be a part of it again. So we're hopefully uh, hoping that this summer we might, you know, start the process of, okay, here's what we got. How far away are we? And what do we need to do to get there? Yeah. And what about, what about, you know, you might release an EP or something, you know, if you, if you don't have an album's worth of material ready to go, are you someone who'd release like four tracks or one track or two tracks at a time, or are you an album's kind of guy? We've never done that, but in in this day and age, you know, that's not such a bad idea. If you've got four great tracks and you've got 10, 10 songs and, and the rest of them are just okay, but you've got four great tracks. Well then we're the kind of band that would rather put out the great tracks and, put it out as an EP or, you know, cause everything just goes on iTunes anyway and people can pick and choose which ones they like and which ones they don't like. So albums don't really have that much weight anymore. Yeah. Uh, so Steve, before I let you go, uh, can you throw out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with the band or get in touch with you? Um, it's, ju- it's just kicksband.com. It has all of our, has our schedule and, uh, what's coming up for the band. Um, we have a, a uh, fan page on Facebook, just kicks band. And we just, we, I think we got like seven or 8,000 followers on there that, that kind of spread the word about what we're doing and where we're at all the time. Um, I don't, I don't promote myself. I promote the band. So I'm, I, when I'm, when I'm done with the band, I'm a pretty private guy. Okay. Well, hopefully Steve, you'll be up in my area in the Boston area sometime soon. And uh, I'll be able to say hello to you in person. I hope so too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Steve. And, and you know what? We used to play. We used to play the Boston area quite often, and I don't know where there is to play up there anymore. I, we would love to come back to the area, but we just don't know where to come to. Yeah, well, that's the thing. A lot of the venues up here are gone. I know, and and that's a shame. We used to be able to play New York, Boston, and come back and hit Jersey or Philadelphia, and you know, we'd make a little run of it and hit a lot of people. And it's just uh, unfortunately, those days are gone. But we would love to get back in the area. All right, Steve. Well, I'll leave you go. So have a good rest of the night. All right. Thank you very much. No problem, Steve. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye.
And there you go. There's Richie's conversation with Steve Whiteman of Kicks. Always a great guy to have on. Had him back when they uh, released Rock Your Face Off. And we've also had Mark Schenker on the show back when they released their Live in Baltimore CD. And if you want to find out what's going on with Kicks and see if they're coming near you or uh, if you can go to them, you can go to kicksband.com. Tour dates are up there. Merch is up there. You can even get a special bundle of the CD, DVD, or the keychain. All that's on offer up there as well as some other great merch. So again, that is kicksband.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter at kicksband. And as I said, great job by Richie on doing this one and uh, really kind of made me realize that I got spoiled having kicks coming around the area all the time. Never really thought much about it. But of course, Richie brings the other slant of it and bringing us from uh, from Europe and saying, hey, uh, we never really saw you guys. What's up with that? And I never really even would have thought about that. But uh, it really made me think about how lucky it was to always have these guys coming through town and it's just another one of these bands that we just kind of got spoiled seeing all the time. So we get a little bit of time on our hands this week, and I thought that uh, it'd be a great opportunity to do a little bit of music discovery. Not only that, but with uh, Steve Whiteman being guest on the show this week, it's a music discovery with a little bit of a slant as well. So I figured I'd start off with that by uh, rolling you a couple of tracks from people that were from the 80s, or at least had their heyday in the 80s, and uh, now they're just coming back around again with a second wind of their career, or in some cases, third, fourth, or fifth winds of their career. So I thought, hey, let's do that first. Let's to kind of do that 80s bent thing first for Music Discovery, and then we'll just delve into whatever else comes our way after that. And first up is a brand new one coming out very soon from Rat's own Stephen Piercy. That's right, later on this month... Frontiers will be rolling out Smash. That's the latest one from Stephen Piercy. But uh, fortunately, those guys did do a teaser single. So guess what? You get to hear a little bit of this a little bit early. So for our first bit of Back from the 80s Music Discovery this week, it's the track that you'll most likely be hearing on the radio very soon. This one's called Jamie from Stephen Piercy's brand new one, Smash.
There you go. That's a little preview from Steven's album, Smash. If you want to find out what's going on with Steven Pierce, you want to find out uh, any dates. He's got dates coming up, kicking off, starting in February, going all the way through July. So a lot of dates there, both for uh, solo dates from Steven Pierce, as well as some dates with Rat. If you want to find those out, go to Stephen Dash. Piercy.com. You can also pre-order the album there as well. So again, find out all that stuff at Stephen, and that is S-T-E-P-H-E-N, if you don't know, dash Piercy.com. So let's continue with our blast back from the 80s. And what do you get when you get a guy from Winger and a guy from Giant? You get the Roth Brock Project. That's right. Got uh, John Roth from Winger as well as Terry Brock from Giant. They put together a project called Brock Brock Project. I oh, mean, that is like that is hard to say with the Brock and the project right after. They could have changed it right and been Brock Roth Project. It'd be way easier to say, but no, they didn't. Anyways, it's the Roth Brock Project, and as could be expected from these guys, this is definitely some melodic metal here. Uh, basically 11 tracks. Some of it's very melodic. Some of it's got some more balls to it as well. Just a kind of a mix of stuff, but it's not unexpected from these two guys considering the bands they came from and the music those guys were putting out. Uh, I really wouldn't expect uh, German power metal to be coming out of either one of these guys, and they're not. But this one is out now if you want to go get it. And I'm going to play a little track. And this one is called Fighter. music discovery of things coming back from the 80s is jack russell's great white yep you heard that right 
not to be confused with the uh, currently touring Great White lineup, which includes Mark Kendall. Nope, this is Jack Russell's Great White. The band includes, of course, Jack Russell on vocals, as well as Tony Montana, who was uh, the bassist in Great White. He is now guitar player and keyboardist with uh, with Jack Russell, as well as uh, Dan McNay from Montrose on bass, Robbie Lochner from Fight on guitar, and also... Uh, Dickie from Bruce Dickinson's band on drums. They're going to be releasing their debut album, He Saw It Coming, on uh, January 27th, of course, by uh, Frontiers Music. And the word is that most of this album was actually written by uh, both Jack as well as Robbie. And I'm certainly looking forward to hearing the rest of this, but uh, right now they did put out a radio edit teaser single. It's called Blame It On The Night, and I'm going to play a little bit of that for you right now. From the 80s theme here, another great one is uh, Dario Moto's Crossbones. That's right, Crossbones. This band's been actually been around since 1981, but uh, he's come back again after working with uh, with Tony Martin in the Cage, as well as Voodoo Hill with Glenn Hughes. That uh, Dario Molo decided he'd put back together a new Crossbones project, and uh, he's got the uh, the original uh, drummer on here as well, as well as uh, Dario Patti on bass and keyboards. And then very, very cool, he has got Carl Sentence this time on vocals. Of course, Carl sang with Nazareth, uh, with Persian Risk, and with Crocus. So as usual, some great guitar work from Dario. And you can get this one now. This one actually came out back on December 2nd. And it also has a, a very metal, very cool, kind of a hot rod themed album art. Uh, just uh, very cool. Lots of reds and blues and and blacks and uh, just again it's something that really grabs your attention when you see it and of course lots of good music inside some of them have a decidedly 
I don't know what to call it. Yes, I do. A deep purple feel. Uh, a few of them, it just like, wow, is this actually a lost purple track or something? Just really has that kind of a feel. But the track I'd like to play for you as a music discovery from Dario Molo's Crossbones. The album's called Rock the Cradle, and the track is called Speed. <laughs> Before we get out of here, metalheads, it wouldn't be right unless we have a moment of righteous motorhead bliss in memory of the one, the only, Lemmy. I still cannot believe that he's been gone for over a year now. Stay while I'm gone. 
great metalheads, and that is a wrap for this week as episode 314 is officially in the can. Big thanks to our special guest, Steve Whiteman of Kicks, for coming back on to talk to us all about their brand new CD DVD release. Can't stop the show, the return of kicks. Just want to remind everybody that, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that uh, we will be taking our annual winter hiatus starting next week. So that means no new Focus on Metal for uh, at least two weeks. But we definitely have some great stuff in store for you for the new year. I know that Richie's already begun work on the uh, next project idea. He's got that thing locked and loaded. In fact, he's got the first two guests already lined up. Sent me a text a few days ago, and I was just amazed that uh, he had already lined up two really incredible guests. In fact, I don't think either of these two guys have ever appeared on any type of a netcast ever. And if that wasn't enough, he's also found a way to potentially kick our next Saxon episode into a whole new level. I didn't think that it could possibly be done, but... uh, I don't know how he does it, but he's continuing to amaze me with some guests. And if I wasn't already so looking forward to doing the next episode of Saxon, I'm really looking forward to it now. And just remember that if you're really missing us for the next couple of weeks because we don't have a new show on and you're looking for something just to fill the time, then make sure you head over to earpeeler.com. Lots of great shows over there, and you'll discover some uh, some ones you probably already knew about and a lot of ones that you probably didn't know about. So again, that's earpeeler.com, and that'll just help ease that loneliness as you wait for us to come back on the airwaves. But for now, that is it for this week. Sticking a fork in it, this puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week, and until we talk to you again next time, remember... Focus on It's over. Go home.